Welcome to another episode of Unsourced Wall. My name is Elvis, and as always, I am your host. All right, I know that there's been a lot to pack in this week. Let's just get it off right ahead, right started with the biggest news that came out, which was the release of the Captain Marvel trailer. Overall, it looks okay. I know that's pretty baseline, but it is pretty much your standard first teaser trailer. There's not really much to parse in that isn't doing a whole top 20 list of little references and cameos in the trailer. It's just going over what the sights and sounds will be along with some narration to set the mood. It's fine. I think that aesthetically and visually it looks pretty good. It looks like it's going to be pretty entertaining. Although one thing I did want to get a little bit more into with the trailer is that it seems like Jude Law might not be playing Captain Marvel, Marvel the original. And instead might just be playing a regular side commander character who as I've noted in my other theories and postulations about what this movie is going to entail might be evil and that Brie Larson herself her character Carol is going to be somewhat merged or at least influenced and mixed with Marvel's own backstory which makes sense because it does step away from what people might call Green Lantern parallels while also giving it more of a focused and centralized point of view. While it would be a shame to not see like that whole legacy and see Marvel in action as himself, especially since like Jude Law would be amazing casting for that. It's definitely something that I think is a lot more welcome and is probably one of the best ways you could do it when you have to truncate a legacy within the first movie if you're going to skip over and leapfrog something. Although that does lean my expectations more toward Carol herself, and hopefully that the movie and Brie Larson and the writers are able to play with that balance and amnesiatic angle they're doing, the double identity, the double life sort of cliches that they seem to be filtering through into the trailer. But yeah, there's not really much to talk about in the trailer in that the costume looks good, the effects look good. I'm interested in seeing how they play with Carol's character. They had a little joke with the scrolls in the trailer, so that was pretty fun. Hopefully the movie is able to handle the tones of being a Maverick type of movie while also being space, that kind of stuff. It's a great mixture if you get the combination right, and best of luck to them because right now they have a blank check. So fingers crossed for that. Although there were these two tangent news points that came out of this trailer that did make the rounds because of how ridiculous they were. The first one was that apparently a segment of comic book geeks were saying that hey carol isn't smiling enough in this it's too dour looking even though smiling isn't and has never been a prerequisite for being a hero nor has any of the mcu movies really ever been about smiling happy adventuring type of stuff i mean there's elements of that but it's never just been solely about that that was just i guess a reason to complain for people who want to complain about just a standard trailer and there was also on the other side of the spectrum of this there was these complaints that carol didn't speak enough in the trailer and that tamilo jackson had more lines which was true but again it's the first teaser trailer trying to set the mood trying to set the events and you can't deny that even though of course samuel L. jackson is narrating it's there to give context he's going to be like the framing device he'll be the point of view character to this grander larger level universe especially if carol herself is going to be like somewhat of a cree who knows really right now you're trying to keep that mysterious so of course that's something that you want to really parse in and pass along to the viewer that's what a trailer is meant to do and it did that well you want to give her a little bit more mystique and it did that job perfectly so yeah Captain Marvel trailer I hope to see more I think it looks pretty okay right now and that's a little bit more than I was expecting especially with the scroll stuff if they do more of the scrolls because that's such a fertile villain concept that I really hope they don't waste in some sort of secret invasion type shit and just really go all out with this one 
And we also apparently got news that Fox had only recently screened another new trailer for Dark Phoenix at a Russian press event, which is something that happens almost all the time. I know that last year they had screened Dark Phoenix footage and a couple months ago they had screened Shazam footage. So hopefully we do get some actual trailers coming in and out because it comes out in less than half a year. So that would be insane that they've now released two different trailers that are only for critics are only for press releases that they don't even give play-by-play about or any kind of snippet for so i mean that's gonna be quite a tight marketing budget although now that we have the news that disney is going to be integrating i guess they just want to sort of shuffle these away in dc movie news we have our first look into the joker movie produced by Martin Scorsese, directed by Todd Phillips, starring Joaquin Phoenix. And it is both the behind the scenes set footage of Joaquin as Joker pre makeup and also a full glamour shot of said pre Joker Joker named Arthur Fleck, posted by DC's many social media accounts. And well, I have to say, I mean, it's a pretty standard look. This is the kind of movie that they are really trying to hew a lot more grounded into from what we hear about how they're going to portray Thomas Wayne and the whole King of Comedy influence. And if you've never seen King of Comedy, it's a really great movie. You should. And this seems more like a retread of that, especially from the rumors of the plot we've seen. He looks the part especially in the behind the scenes footage. I guess that's just Joaquin's normal and I guess aged facial expressions and techniques because he's wiry to his face, eyes, hair, and everything. In the behind the scenes photos, which I'll post up as well, we do see some of the sets and the background dressings for Gotham's seedy underbelly, like say a really grizzled clown who I guess he's friends with and worn background advertisements for some sort of circus. I guess this will all feed into why he picks up clownish persona. So this is actually breaking news. And because of that, and because it overwrites some things I already said, I'm going to have to chop up this already in progress Joker piece when I get to it in order to talk about, well, something that came out, which was that Todd Phillips has released a small little mini teaser for the Joker in the form of Joaquin Phoenix's, well, makeup test for the Joker makeup. So I'll just cut out whatever I was going to say about like whether or not we'll see it or what they'll do with it. It's a makeup job, much like Heath Ledger's was. I'm going to post a picture of it right now. So if you want to skip over you can skip over it. It's interesting. I won't say I am in love with it, but it's unique. And honestly, I think that one of the biggest things about this movie was how you were able to get over the hurdle of thinking that this is an origin story for a specific look of the character, which this makeup job totally disregards. It definitely hews into the grounded and realistic feel that the movie is trying to do, where it looks like crazy guy just put on makeup to look like comedic. It works that way. It's not like, okay, now he has green hair and he has all this kind of shit going on. Not like that classic Joker look as so ingrained in that comic book aesthetic, which is what the movie clearly isn't trying to do. It would just stick out jarringly that you're trying to do like this more character driven drama. And then you have to confront that whole aesthetic, that whole visual context. It wouldn't work. It comes into direct conflict with what you want to do and what's being presented and all that. This makeup job is a great compromise because, of course, yeah, it's clown makeup. It evokes the Joker in a sense, but it's also really able to, you know, feel like something someone 
would do that someone is able to do teaser itself which is joaquin sort of like twisting and dancing around while flashes of the joker makeup come onto his face before finally culminating in like a small extended shot got a nice mood to it i know it's just like a one-off little nothing teaser but there was some mood to it so i have a little bit more hope for this movie came in with like no expectations there was just the standard bar and now i have some expectations it's not great but I'm a little excited just to see what they can do. So, you know, hats off to you, Todd Phillips. You might have something here. Although I do wish that they wouldn't just recopy King of Comedy. Moving along to more DC movie news. We finally have some more traction on that long gestating Birds of Prey movie that Margot Robbie has been producing. I think that was one of the ones along with a Harley Quinn solo film. Some sort of deal they did over a year ago. And we have a short list for people who are in the running to play Black Canary and Huntress because those roles are still up in the air. So let's see who they have rumored. We have Gugu Mbafara, who you might remember from something like Coldfield Paradox. I think she's a fine actress and she was definitely one of the at least acting highlights of that movie. And I think that she would make fine addition to any kind of movie they're trying to make here. Another name being called out is Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I don't think we've seen on the big screen since the Thing prequel. I think that Mary Elizabeth Winstead is a great actress. I think she was really good in Fargo season three, which was neither here nor there it was a very mixed bag season wise but the writing was good for her character and she acted it the hell out she was great both of these already would be highlights other actresses for the huntress role specifically they have apparently been rumors that they're testing margaret qualley from the leftovers and Kristen miliotti who people might remember as the mother from how i met your mother or from the star trek parody episode of black mirror apparently there is also talk that renee montoya aka the question will be in this movie and that role is being tested with Justina Machado from the Netflix reboot of One Day at a Time and Roberta Colindres who was on Stars' Vita. But so far that seems to be it. Although I seem to have missed that Janelle Monet of Hidden Figures and Journey Smollett Bell who is appearing in the upcoming Jordan Peele produced Lovecraft Country adaptation. So this is a great stable of actresses and hopefully we see some more concrete stuff coming in. Now moving into TV news, we have something to start off with DC, which I'm pretty excited about. The role of Stargirl in, of course, Stargirl's own DC streaming service TV show has been cast. Brett Bassinger from Becca and the Bulldogs has been cast as Courtney Whitmore, which, you know, it makes sense. DC TV shows are no stranger to casting Disney kid stars. I mean, if you're going to be looking for any kind of youthful actors and actresses to headline your shows, the Disney stable is probably one of the go-to places. I know that, say, something like iZombie, the CW show, had at least two. Rose McIver played the Yellow Ranger in Power Rangers RPM, which was the last Disney-produced season of Power Rangers. And also Allison Mashaka, who played one of the leads on Phil of the Future, which was also a Disney show. I have never seen, I think, Bella or Becca and the Bulldogs, I have no reason to expect anything but a really nice performance. I think that, as I said before, Jeff Johns is playing a huge role in production of the show, and it's based on his late sister, so I'm hopefully expecting quite a bit. And talking about expectations, thanks to Doom Patrol and all of the stuff we've seen on how the production of that has been going from costumes and sets and characters introduced, I do have some actual real expectations of this. Not just if it comes out, I'll watch it and see what it is, but now I actually do have some legit levels going on here of like 
this is what I expect. Because when you're playing with the JSA and we're playing with stars and stripe, then I want to see stripe. I want like stripe a robot like made up to prop up around the set and everything like that because that would be fantastic and yes it's going to be based on Sergeant Stripe which is available on the DC Universe app if you want to read through it it's a short read but it's also really really fun although I think that this week Marvel definitely has beaten out DC in terms of TV news because they have gone up and beyond with new plans for their consolidated Disney streaming service plans which is that they will be producing streaming service television shows within the MCU which of course you might say that doesn't make any difference we already had Daredevil and Iron Fist and Luke Cage but no this is actually stuff they're actually going to put in some work and effort into or at least they're saying because it's going to be both a Loki show and a Scarlet Witch show that they're planning to do starring of course Tom Hiddleston and Elizabeth Olsen meaning that there's not going to be any more denying or to ignore that these are tangential and intersecting with the MCU as a whole. Wow that's a lot of fate they're going to be putting into these especially Scarlet Witch who is pretty much a non-character in these movies and I know they try to give her a little bit of character in Infinity War but it didn't work because it goes from like 0 to 60 and no seconds flat and you're just kind of left with like neck pain although a Loki show is a no-brainer he's always been popular and if they could do it then they should have jumped on it and that seems like to be what they're doing so Kudos to Disney. What else is there to say? In terms of comic news, we do have at least one interesting thing, and it does allow me to segue into what I read this week. So let's get on with it. Apparently, DC's new imprint, The Black Label, has finally come out with its first official comic. Now, I know that Batman White Knight by Sean Murphy was relabeled that when it was released as a trade. But no, it doesn't really count as the actual launch, which Batman Damned by Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermejo is. Now, there was some controversy over this because the print edition, which I think was an initial run of like 15,000 or something. Uh, there's some number floating around about how many copies are out there in print. Had Lee Bermejo's uncensored art, which is a thick shadow of Batman. Not like Dick Grayson, but he strips out of his Batman costume while returning to the Batcave. And dimly lit, very dark, very shadowy, we see the outline of his well dick and apparently dc is you know circling back on that saying that future print releases of this issue will have it censored out and the digital release of the issue has already been censored out all of which serves to make this in some small way now a rare comic which is not something you see it's not something you see most of the time i don't think anyone expected this to become a rare comic i know that something like an indie comic that blows up later in the future might become rare i might be considered rare ish but batman damned the launching pad for this thing that DC is really trying to push as the new kind of edgy dark wavy kind of thing. I think that anyone who got that print release and who is now going to be able to go on eBay like three years from now saying rare issue Batman's uncensored dick is going to make a killing and I've already heard reports that some comic shops have already started marking up the issue that they still have in stock in expectation of this so if you got it cheap then good luck to you now moving on to what i read this week we're gonna start off with this same comic batman damned and i didn't notice because i haven't been keeping up on this because it wasn't something that was on my mind but since we had seen all of this controversy and all these news items about it i thought that maybe it'd be worth reading just talk about it to go more in depth into it and apparently it's a three issue miniseries which i think is still maybe two issues too much because my god it kind of drags i'm not saying i'm 
not a fan of Brandon Rosarello, but I think that he definitely has had a lot more quirks to his writing that gets insanely annoying more often than not. And Batman Damned, while I like aspects of it, is definitely well within that. And let me just parse it down a little bit more. I think that Lee Bermejo's art is really good, especially for something that's meant to be more of a prestige release, that's meant to be something a little bit more quality, a little more glamorous. I think he does a great job conveying that and it reminds me almost of a kind of a Corbin or heavy metal kind of thing, which of course I take to mean like very extravagant art, very interesting and very sort of windy and twisty in a way that really allows you to sort of immerse yourself in the art and delve into it a bit more. A plus there. I have no qualm about that. The writing though, it's it's like 80% narration from John Constantine and really horrible puns because Brian Israel can't stop himself from making fucking puns and it grates. It's like a 50 page issue and the puns get so fucking played out like 10 pages in that I just can't take it anymore. I really can't. There's a mystery going on, but you never feel the intensity of it because it's so very dreamlikey and kind of wistful because of all these influences that's going into it that it really does pull me straight out of this story. I can't really engage with it. And it's a shame because I think that, like I said, some of the stuff that's interesting about it, I, I like the mystery. I like the murder mystery angle of it, especially if you're doing like a tangent book that's only three issues. I think that you want to keep it concise. You want to keep it simple, which here is Batman has team of John Constantine. Joker is dead. There's some sort of mystical element going on here with his death, with him being haunted, with Enchantress doing some sort of voodoo spell when he was a kid, that kind of stuff. Who can quite say? But yeah, you know, three issues. It seems like there's gonna be enough room to answer all these. It just feels like a hard time getting there and getting through it and having to chomp away all the stuff that's sapping your will to read this thing. It's really only worth it for Lee Bermejo's art because there's some interesting stuff that goes on with it that I think he really is able to pinpoint. Like Dead Man, there's a Dead Man redesign here, which is amazing. It does take a lot more of the tact for dead man for boston brand his powers and sort of his task i don't really like how he's written per se he's written like a very annoying and very kind of manic personality but the design is top notch you see that his red costume is actually more like flayed and exposed musculature which makes sense because of his body possessing abilities so it gives it that sense that he's just really more like skin jacking in the most literal way possible that a ghost can even do so like that's 10 out of 10 that's a great redesign right there it's amazing I love it. I love it a lot. But overall, it's not a great issue. At least it's not a great first issue. It just feels very, very heavy to read, but not like in an emotional way, but like in, oh my god, there's 10, 15 more pages left of this, which, you know, is kind of like a red flag for a comic. Moving ahead, we have Immortal Hulk number six, which has pretty much all of my worst fears about this series come to life. But it still is able to do it in at least a reasonably readable way. So kudos to Al Ewing for being able to weather some of this bullshit because I had hoped far and away that this would be kept out of it, but it integrates it well enough and it should read at least okay enough in a trade. Now, the main thing was that we have, of course, the Hulk and the larger scale MCU coming to a head and converging and all of that mishmash that I have really gotten a distaste for when it comes to solo series, but at least it doesn't overtake and completely drown the core themes and the atmosphere of the series so far. More or less, it tries to give out and maybe expand the narrative a bit more and it feels that way and that makes honestly all of the difference in this kind of situation it's not perfect we could have gone at least another 10 issues without 
having to have this kind of crossover thing going on, maybe even more, but it's still worth reading because it's not just kind of being choked to death by it. I know I'm using a lot of fatalistic metaphors here, but that's what really happens with comics like these, right? They die and they get killed by all this bullshit that the writer and creative team has to count out to. Not the same case here. Although I do like that it seems that whatever is going on with the hulks with gamma radiation mutants and all that kind of stuff is being tied into this larger avenger style conflict and that's more interesting that definitely gives it a nice kind of consistent line through that you can really hone in on so that's good and one of the consequences of that and it's probably one of the most hilariously morbid things i've seen in a marvel comic recently was that they have like the secret government installation that's researching and performing tests on the gamma radiation mutants. And they have like spy camera at Rick Jones's gravestone. And it's brilliant. It's really visual. It's just a camera, just a camera view of his grave. It's fucking amazing. I love it. I love it. And I hope we see Rick Jones again sometime soon. I guess he was cured of being A-bomb sometime back. I think it was, what, during when Hulk went crazy and tried to cure everybody? I don't know. It's something more to do. And I do like that they're hinting at Betty coming back into the fold too. I'm not saying that Betty has to because, you know, she's her own character as well. But I do like that a series should be able to use side characters that originate within it, keep a consistent, if encompassing narrative. I think that Betty is a real delible part of that. So I would like to see her come back into the fold and see what dynamics bring off from there. Overall, it's not the best issue. It really does have more of a conventional atmosphere and momentum to it, which seems like kind of a step down, but honestly, it's more of like a horizontal move to a different kind of genre. And if it can make that switch over work and i have hope that it can then you know this really will be still in the long haul so fingers crossed for that and we also had the release of venom number six another series that i didn't quite think would capture my attention as much as it has and it really does it continues this really fine line to it this is the final issue of the first arc and while it does seem a bit rushed and somewhat anticlimactic given all the promise and potential that some of these ideas and concepts had like the grendel and just learning about this giant kind of hive mind insanity going on which they could have done a whole lot more with than they did this issue really knows when to pull its punches and what kind of next cliche to roll out and really try to execute as finely as they can which they do which ryan stigman and donny cates do so i still can't say that venom is one of my favorite characters of all time i enjoy his character and this series at least keeps me enjoying that character keeps me enjoying eddie brock and his dynamic of the symbiote and all this stuff i think it works fine this is definitely trying to be like a low moment a low point before i guess some sort of recapitulation in a second arc and it sells that beat it sells like the low belly of the beast beats perfectly that whole mammoth thing where you're talking about like the lowest point is like the most depressed point of the narrative that's this that is definitely this and i really can't wait to see where it branches off from here because at least the first arc while could have been more cohesive here and there it definitely had good bone work to it now i can't say the same that i've said about any of these other ones about mr miracle number 11 the penultimate issue of this horrible dreadful maxi series because well it solidifies its place as one of dc's worst books of the year it finally pulls the trigger on the whole thing that was obvious from issue one because it spelled it out it even told you straight up straight point blank what was going on but as i've guessed and as i've theorized it plays it like it's meant to be a surprise and not something that even the characters themselves have said maybe this is what's going on before just summarily 
disregarding. It's ridiculous. Well, this issue, I want to say it covers a whole lot of stuff, but it really doesn't. It just repeats the same kind of thing that's been doing the entire series. But overall, I just want to get into at least one more thing, is that catharsis. It's meant to be a cathartic issue, but that is impossible when both the jig was up since issue one and everything since then has been the same level of repetitious, boringly executed, blandly written, and horrifically, horrifically atmospheric. I don't mean like a horrific atmosphere. I mean, just it's been trying to be atmospheric but it's just terrible at it because there's nothing to really gain ground against it's it's like painting white on white there's no real sense of escalation there's no real sense of a depression here and yeah i mean that in all the ways because there really isn't and that's the main problem is this that you can't have an emotional kind of release you can't have any kind of emotional connection or engagement with the series because there's nothing emotional about anything that goes on it's so just blunt and point blank and wanting to be uh, contrast but all it can do is just contrast against itself and itself isn't really something to phone home about it tries so hard to hammer in that oh my god look at this look at what happened this is this is a relevatory moment or this is an important impactful moment or this is something that was a bit of a clever twist and there's several clever twists they try to really sell at you you see articles saying oh mr miracle finally makes sense in issue number 11 no it always made sense because it never hit anything it presented every little thing to the reader in the most straightforward and boring way possible thus negating any kind of mystery engagement or entertainment so yeah it's it's that book and wow terrible but i don't want to leave this off on a bad note like i did last week so i'm going to leave off with talking about the wild storm number 17 which is a penultimate issue of wild storm before number 18 which is the final issue before it goes on hiatus before the last arc so yeah i think that by keeping all that in mind number 17 does come off as perfectly placed in relative to whatever is coming next and that's because it's the supposed finale of John Lynch's setting up of Gen 13, but also the engineer gaining more and more information about her situation and thus coming closer to forming the authority with Jenny Sparks and all that. Whether or not or how long this hiatus is going to last, it is at least making strides to leave a lasting impression about where this universe, where this series and what those spinoffs might be across to the reader. It's leaving that mark and it does it in a really great and delible way because you have after say a few issues of formula of John Lynch going around and having to face off with variously demonic and horribly messed up versions of the team seven crew we get a really toned down and honestly kind of meditative and reflective issue about him meeting with sour rainmaker's dad stefan rainmaker it's great i know that this series gets a lot of flack for being kind of dragged out and more decompressed but it's stuff like this that while yes you wanted to do a kind of a straight plot type thing which the series is never really meant to be you could have done it at least maybe half of the issue lengths but then you miss out like this i think that this is really where both ellis's scripts and john davis hunt's art really do come into a forefront because you have this nicely slow and calm conversation between rainmaker and john lynch that works and it fires on all barrels and it really does suck you in it really does engage you on so many levels at least engaged me because it does get to that emotional core of things like you have john lynch saying i want to find and protect your kids all these kids that have been left and are really messed up now and Sam Raker says, well, you have changed. And that's such a little emblem of John Lynch's main core, main dynamic with the gens. Because 
like he went from one type of person to this whole different one and you know there's some dynamics there some conflicts there but he's making the effort there's an effort there's a heartening character basis for that so i think it works it really does although one thing i'd know is that one of the gens is actually you know john lynch's son but we haven't had any actual foreshadowing of him apparently he's been a hermit for as long as possible and none of the team seven remnants have you know had his kid or whatever so whether that means that backlash who is still on the lamb is burnout's dad this time or something really hinky went on with john lynch to conceive burnout or perhaps option c that burnout simply doesn't exist then we don't know hopefully we'll find out in the next issue which sees backlash and john lynch come to a second rematch and we'll get some notes there but i think that's been pushed back at least two weeks but i can't wait to see that issue because it does have a lot riding on it as the last one before the finale arc so can't wait for it i really really can't wait now there are actually a couple of series that i didn't get around to reading this week like jeepers creepers the finale i know i've been keeping up with the series but didn't have time to read it as well as say kick-ass number seven which i said i wasn't going to read but i thought why the fuck not maybe it'll be good but i will be around and revealing those next week along with whatever new releases are coming out that week so stay tuned for those and i hope that they don't drag down the average now let's move on to listener questions we actually have one question today from mitch gosser and their question is what comic page would i want to have a print of now this is actually pretty funny because i actually did get a print of a comic page i've been wanting to get for years now i made myself a promise and i just never did it because i just could never get you know the gall to be like okay i'm gonna buy this right now but it was the inline in-book poster for Mind MGMT by Matt Kent. I'll post a picture of it right now if you're watching this as a video on YouTube. But yeah, I finally got that this year. It's not really a page per se. It's an advertisement, but you can't get a print of it like anywhere. I don't think it exists. I had to go through a lot of rigmarole to get a good quality version of it. Enough so that I could blow it up oversized and have it printed out at the local Staples. Which was worth it because my god, I, I waited like five years to get it and it was fantastic. But if you're talking about like a regular comic page, you know, the action and the panels, I would have to say New Gods, the pack where High Father finally comes into his own, growing from Isaiah the Inheritor to, you know, High Father, the leader of the Genesis in the desert. That whole power of that page. If I get a print of that page, it would be amazing. I would hang it up immediately. It's such a fantastic page and I love it. I really do. But, you know, so far, one out of two ain't bad. But yeah, no, thanks, Mitch. It was great and I can see right here that you got a cover print of Mr. Miracle Number 10. That's fantastic. If you've made it this far, if you listen to my what I read this week, then you know I have zero love, maybe even negative love for Mr. Miracle as a series, but that's still fantastic and I really hope you enjoy that. Anyway, that's it for listener questions and as always, it's been great recording and making this episode. Thank you all so much for listening if you are listening and just for continued support, comments, reactions. It's It's been a great ride and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. If you have your own questions, comments, or topics that you want to hear discussed on the show then please comment below or tweet me at t-h-e underscore s-n-i-c-k-m-a-n a special shout out to the cover artist at d-o-t-e-m-c-e-e and well like i said thank you again and see you all next week